Well, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors at Alliance here. And I got three kids, or uh, two kids. Hey, oh. <laughs> I'm gonna start over. <laughs> hey, everybody, my name is Brian, and I'm in big trouble. So, oh man, I got uh, two. These are them right here. Let's see if we got pictures. Yeah, we got some pictures of them. Two kids, Eddie and Elias, yep. They're not paying rent yet, but we are, we're putting up with it. We're okay, we're letting them stay. Uh, I will say this, every day at our house, every day is an Easter egg hunt. The difference is not eggs we're looking for, it's like the remote, it's my keys. This morning was my wallet, <laughs> right? This is how it is, right, parents? Uh, someone once told me this about parenting. They said, parenting is eating a bowl of ice cream over a kitchen sink looking out a window. <laughs> and if you don't get it, it's because you don't have kids, right? <laughs> parents are like, that's hilarious. And uh, the other people are like, what's that mean? Oh, you'll find out. Yeah, you're looking for stuff all the time as a parent. I'm looking for stuff all the time as a parent. One of the things that we're looking for when it comes to Jesus is evidence, right? Some of us in here are doing that. We're going, I need some more evidence. You know, what's the amount of evidence I would need to stack up here for you to believe in Jesus? And this is, this is what I wanna go with tonight. I really believe this. I think that you'll find whatever you're looking for. You'll find whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. Let me put it to you this way. I was talking to a guy who's brilliant, much smarter than me, much smarter than me. He sold an algorithm to Google. Don't know what that is, but if you got some, they're buying them. So <laughs> you could do that. Uh, so he's, he's brilliant mind. And he leans back in his chair. We're having coffee. And he leans back and he says with absolute certainty, he says, listen, Brian, there is no way you can know anything absolutely about God. There's no absolute truth when it comes to God. And so I asked him, are you absolutely sure about that? Because that's one then. <laughs> like if there's one, maybe there's two, maybe there's five. I don't know. But, but this is the thing. You're convinced of what you believe. And if there's one thing 2020 taught us, taught us is that like people can believe things that are completely opposite from other things that people believe. I mean, complete opposites. And they get all the evidence to substantiate those claims. I think this, you'll find whatever you're looking for. So the question before us today is this, who is the God who is the God that you're looking for? Who is that God? That's the question I got. Um, and is he the real God? And I think this is why the, the people that saw Jesus when he rose from the dead, the Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, which we believe is God, the Bible points to that, and they saw him, they're eyeball to eyeball with him. They spent years with him. They know him personally. They know the sound of his voice. They know what his mannerisms are. They know him. And they can't even imagine, they can't even, they can't even believe that he, they're looking at him. How is that? How, how does that happen? Somebody you spend years with, you can't even recognize when you're standing in front of them. Here's why. They're not looking for that Jesus. They don't know that Jesus. And that's exactly why the first eyewitness, Mary, Mary, Mary Magdalene is the first person that meets and finds Jesus. I will say, if you're a skeptic and you're going, I don't think there's proof that um, this, uh, this book can be trusted as an eyewitness account. Any historian will tell you this, that if they were gonna doctor this thing up, if the ancient writers were gonna propagandize this thing, the first thing they would have taken out is that women were the first eyewitnesses to the risen Lord. They would have taken that out. And I know that sounds harsh. Uh, women were, were back then, the patriarchal society, they were property. They were not, uh, their, their testimony wasn't even allowed in, admissible in the court of law, their eyewitness account. So why would they be the first people that the writers decided to put in here as the eyewitness 
to Jesus' resurrection, that would be the first thing you delete if you're gonna take it out. I know all that sounds harsh and it should. It was wrong then, it's wrong now, but that's reality. That was the culture. So this thing, I mean, this, that's, that is, if you're gonna send this thing and make it go viral, that's the first thing you would take out. It, it's suicide to put that little detail in there, but that's what it is. The first people that find Jesus are, are the women, and it's Mary Magdalene's the first person, and this is her story. John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over, she looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her one word and it was her name, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Mary is looking earnestly. She's passionate about it and uh, she's, She's eyeball to eyeball with him. She's breathing, he's breathing down her neck and he can't, she doesn't even recognize it. She thinks he's the enemy. Like, she thinks he's the problem. Like, where did you take his body? Listen, it's not for a lack of earnest passion that she couldn't see Jesus. Some of you have been looking real hard, lots of passion. You're trying, right? It's not, it wasn't a lack of earnest effort to find Jesus. She didn't need to increase that. That wouldn't have worked, and Jesus could have sat there, folded his arms, and watched the whole thing happen. Jesus had to break in. God had to intervene. Jesus had to break in, and he did it in a way that was deeply personal. I I need you to hear this this morning. Um, If you've been looking for the real God, and he's some nebulous ambiguity out there that doesn't know you and your story personally and know you by your first name, you're not gonna find the real God because the real God knows you by name, and he breaks into your life personally. It's personal. That's the real God. That's not just the God of the Bible. That's the real God, and he's personal, and he knows your name, and he cares about your story. But either way, he breaks in, and here's what's fascinating. There's no indication that John... It describes in none of the gospels, Jesus did not suddenly change his appearance. He did not change what he looked like. He did not suddenly change, you know, her physical eyes suddenly. That didn't happen. There wasn't a physical alteration to Mary, but there was a spiritual one. Jesus didn't change her circumstances either. That, that tomb was still empty. There was nothing in there. He didn't change her circumstances. He didn't change himself. He remained unchanged. All he did is open some spiritual eyes, and so she saw him differently. She, the Jesus she was looking for was not the Jesus in front of her, and God opened her eyes to that. Jesus opened her eyes to that. You see, who is the Jesus she was looking for? The Jesus she was looking for was the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. So again, if you're a skeptic here today, you're spiritually undecided, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, welcome. I just wanna tell you, whatever the amount of evidence that you would need stacked up here or videos that we would need to show you to somehow substantiate the veracity of this text or the, the reality, the full humanity and divinity of Christ, it, whatever that amount is, um, you would need that much or more to convince an ancient Jew, particularly even Mary, that Jesus was Yahweh, God, in the flesh. You see, they, they believed he was the Messiah. That term Messiah was though a, almost a, 
governmental overthrower. That person was gonna overthrow the Roman rule and save and restore Israel back to its rightful place, full autonomy in the region, in the Middle East, and eventually bring about global domination and peace on earth, right? Through government, through ruling and restoring the David's throne, King David from generations ago. That was who they were looking for. That's who they were thinking Jesus was, and there he is, three days earlier on the cross gasping for air. And so Mary's there saying he's, he failed. I mean, he's a good guy. She obviously loves him. She, she cares about him. He was a, you know, a spiritual teacher, spiritual guide to her. And you know, as well-meaning as he was, he failed. And she didn't say it out loud, but a few people next to her did. And this is what they said. Luke records it in his eyewitness account. This is what they said. He said, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him, Jesus. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. They're looking at him on the cross. And, and they're saying, you know, the real Messiah, the real one, the one we're looking for, would have the power to mobilize a, a, some sort of militia or rebellion, overthrow these, the, the rulers, the government that put him here and the people that put him here. They're looking right at Jesus and they don't see him. Not because their physical eyes can't see. It's because the Jesus they're looking for, the Messiah they're looking for, is not the real one. See, their definition of power in their Messiah was someone that was capable of taking themselves off of the cross, out of suffering, maximizing comfort, maximizing uh, just comfort and, and avoiding pain, avoiding this kind of thing. And here Jesus is looking right back at him. The God of the universe, creator almighty, is looking right back at him and saying, this is my definition of power. My definition of power is not peeling myself out of suffering or off of pain, but letting it take its full course. And it didn't get better from that moment on. It got worse. And he died on that cross, displaying to them the true Messiah. And they couldn't see it. What does that have to do with us today? What's this to do with us 2,000 years later? We're looking for a savior, we're looking for God, we're looking for the real God. And the real God didn't peel himself off a cross. He allows suffering, he allows pain. The real God, the real Messiah, the real savior of the world, he doesn't necessarily pull us out of pain and suffering, but sometimes he leaves it there because all suffering, all pain, all tragedy, and I know this is hard to hear, hang with me, it all has to go underneath the yes or know of God, all of it, all of it. And I know, when, I know when I say that, some of you are like, I'm out, I gave one shot here this Easter, I gave it one shot, gave God one shot for the hope thing, this whole hope thing, and you're telling me that all, all of my life, including the hard stuff, all of it had to go underneath the yes or no of God? That when I was on the cross and I was suffering, I'm like, Lord, if you're a Messiah, if you're save me, pull me off of this thing. Save this marriage, save this job, save this person, save my physical body, all those things. And you're telling me that underneath his authority, it was his call, yes or no. Now listen, if you're done, if that's it, if I've said everything and you're like, well, that was it. That was the one shot I was gonna give God and it's over as you leave, if you're done, I just want you to know what you believe. This is what you believe. You believe 
that God is up there, if you believe he's real, he's just up playing tennis with evil. You know, he's just, he's just reacting to whatever evil does. That's, that's what you believe. And let me just tell you, if that's what you believe about God, then you gotta understand something. He's not God. Evil's God, right? Because evil is the one calling the shots. God's just responding and reacting. But this is also what you believe. Like theologically, if you believe anything of the God of the Bible, you believe that he created a perfect God. It was all good. It was all good. And then evil messed it up, right? And oh, poor God. Poor God. He, he had it. He was, it was perfect. And then evil and sin and suffering and pain and crosses came in. And now everything is just second best. Second best. Everything is second best. Nothing is best. That's what you believe. You understand? That's what you believe if you don't believe what I'm saying. And so you look at the cross. This is a salvage operation for second, third, fourth best in your life. And let me tell you something. If you believe that theologically, you believe that personally about your life. I mean, that, that's what you believe personally about your life then. Like, you know, everything was gonna be good and then I messed it up. You know, everything was, now I'm just, now everything in life is second best. It was great and then, and then I got sick or this person got sick or the job fell apart or the marriage fell apart. Now everything, everything in my life was just second best. And let me tell you something, the, the hope of the Bible, the good news of the real God, the real Messiah is that that's not true, that the best is available to you now and forever because that's what the cross is, the world theologically. Theologically, the world is not second best because of the cross, it's better. It's better. This shows us hope and love at a higher volume that we would have never known otherwise. We would never have known the depth of God's love for us without it. And the real God, the real Messiah, is the one who's big enough to pull you off of crosses. He can do that. But he's also big enough to leave him there and let it deliver his mail of hope and love and faithfulness at a volume you would never have guessed, never imagined. And a, and a hope and a story and a, and a love and a faithfulness to the world in a way they can't imagine. You see, listen, if anybody ever tries to get up on an Easter Sunday and sell you a Christianity and a Jesus and a hope, it takes away all suffering, takes away all the pain. That the future, you know, now give your life to Jesus, believe, say yes to Jesus, and everything's gonna be great. I'm gonna be honest with you, that's, that's a snake oil salesman. That is not reality because the truth is, is that we serve a God with an Easter story where he didn't take away the pain of the cross, he didn't take away the suffering, the grief of it, he left it there, but he found a way to show us his love and to save us and to use it, not just get through it, but to use it to do something that we never otherwise could have imagined him doing in our life. Easter is not the story of God erasing suffering or taking suffering away from the world and the pain. Easter is a story of a Jesus who just says your name personally and he changes your view. He opens your eyes and he helps you see the power of purpose in all of it and that he can use it. And then it's gonna deliver hope in a way 
that you never would have imagined otherwise. See, real hope, real hope is not, there's no more suffering. It's, you know, life's gonna be great. Real hope is only in the real Jesus, which has a cross right in the middle of it. And the world looks at this as a symbol of hope. They do. They see this and they see forgiveness. They see love. They see faithfulness. They see endurance and incredible uh, reconciliation. They see all those things. But for some reason in our life, personally, we see those things in our past, in our present, maybe even our future with despair. And what Jesus comes into your life to do is just open your eyes to the real God can use your real cross for something much better than you would have ever scripted in your life. And even the scars. Some of you had crosses in your past, and I'll tell you something, even the scars. God can use, you ever think about this? Like in Jesus' resurrected body, like he, he got a new lease on a body. You know, I know what I'm gonna pick. I'm, I'm gonna go with hair, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't care. I'm getting lots of hair, lots of it, just here. But Jesus, he keeps his scars like, like he leaves them there, like he could have taken those out, right? He's God and he gets a new body and new stuff and new organs, obviously, because the other ones got hurt. And so he keeps the scar though, right? You think about it, he keeps it, why? Well, he keeps the scar. Well, we find out in the same chapter now Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, the risen Lord, right? But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me and you believe, blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. You know, um, people think their purpose in life is to maximize comfort and, and avoid scars, avoid suffering, avoid pain, avoid these crosses as much as possible. Just, just maximize your comfort as high as it can go. And anything that, that takes a hit at that, all it does is dismantle it and ruin it. Now you're dealing with second best comfort, second best peace, second best comfort. That's all it is. But listen to me. I know people, right, who've maximized it. They've gotten it to the highest volume it can go when they're empty, right? They're empty. They're, they, don't, they don't want to even live. Why? It's a special kind of hell to have all the comfort in the world and no purpose. And no purpose. That's a, and I know people that will leave comfort and pursue suffering, not because suffering is purpose any more than pain is, but they'll do it. Why? Because there's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. There's redemptive purpose. I know people that would say, I wouldn't wish what I've gone through on my worst enemy. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. How, how can you say that? Unless you've seen the real Messiah, you know the real God and the real Jesus, that while painful and brutal our crosses are that we wouldn't wish them on people. We'll try to keep them away from people, but the ones that came to us, we would look at them and we'd say it was brutal, it was hard, but I wouldn't trade it 
I wouldn't trade it because somehow God used it to show me his love, his faithfulness at a volume I never would have known otherwise. Listen, some of you got crosses that are unspeakably painful. Do not hear me tell you that this is easy. Don't I give me, don't, don't, I look, I stand up here with incredible humility. There's not, a, there's a lot of life I haven't seen. Some of you have been through way worse stuff. I, I, unspeakable pain. This is not easy. But I promise you that the truth of the Bible is that second best is not gonna be your story. Second best doesn't have to be your scars. Second best doesn't have to be your crosses, that God can take your scars and do exactly what he did with his, and that he can use them to point yourself and the world to God. That's what he wants to do. So the question before I say is, is who are you looking for? You looking for that God? You looking for that Messiah? You looking for that Jesus? Because he's there, he's real, and the best in your life is available right now. The question is, are you gonna say yes to that God? Are you gonna say yes to that Jesus? And if you do, he'll take you up on it. And you'll know that he knows your name. He's calling your name. He's made an appointment with you today. Maybe you gave him one shot because of the crosses in your life. But he's called your name today. You know he loves you. You know he grieved with you. And just like Paul has said in that story, he will weep with you just the way Jesus weeps through pain. He cried through that cross. You're not a second-class Christian or person because crosses hurt. But there is hope because it's not the end of the story. In fact, and only God can do this, it makes it better. Somehow, somehow. Let's pray. Stand with me as I close in prayer here. Jesus, please kill our old version of hope because it, honestly, it was killing us. It was killing us. We were trying to think that hope was like avoiding suffering as much as possible, taking as little dings as we can in our life. Kill that because this is better. This is better. It's not easier. It's better, though. And Lord, it's true. It's not just a good fairy tale. This wasn't a good TED talk. These aren't just emotions. This is you, Lord, spiritually open in our eyes. And so, Lord, you're calling our name. Help us to just say back, teacher, Lord, God, master. Help us to say yes to you and trust you with our scars with our present crosses, any future ones that are out in front of us, Lord, help us to know and to see them as completely different and as they really are, as an opportunity for you to draw us closer to you and to draw the world closer to you. Thank you for the purpose that you give us, the highest purpose, which is to walk with you, to know you, and to help others know you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Let's worship together.